Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Jayanelli, and I am Brutaclad, Telcor Engineer. I'm Andrew Mathies, Slumbering Isle. And I'm Carrie Thomas, Castia, the Cultivator, but not God. We kind of whiffed on that one, fellas. We whiffed on uh, <laughs> that one real hard. <laughs> yeah. 2018 stuff. This was uh, the most pitiful showing for our cast in a while. But, I mean, we're, we did pretty well with Dominaria. I'll give us a pass on this. So I think our logic and our, our guesses were reasonable from the outside. But who would have known that they would have gone with, like, just Lord Windgrace as the one old walker yeah. in the Planeswalker set? When last time they were, like, all but one of them was an old walker. And I'll give you a hint that there are many, many, many characters who are only mentioned once in a flavor text. So picking, like, oh yeah, we're just going to do Bruticlad as a card. Like, nobody's going to guess that. You can't filter <laughs> through thousands of cards. Speak for yourselves as the one person who did guess that. <laughs> After help. <laughs> After we got narrowed down on like a billion clues. Uh, it was fun though. That was a good preview. Alright, so we'll get into exactly what was previewed. I'll give you a hint. It's mostly not what we said. It's still lots of cool stuff though. It is a lot of cool stuff. So we'll get into that in just a second. First, let's talk news. So this past week, we had Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica revealed for us which is a full-on D&D supplemental book. It's a physical book for D&D that is a full D&D experience in just the book. It contains a map of the 10th District. It's going to be the first map of official map of Ravnica we've ever had. So we went from like 15 years of no maps to three maps in a row <laughs> on sets. Yeah. So I'm liking the direction this is heading. And it was strange because as of, what was that, Battle for Zendikar, they said they didn't want to release maps because it was going to tie them down too much, and now we're just in kind of a, I don't know how to say it, kind of getting in the flow of things, finally. It's kind of serendipitous because we were on Ixalan, which was the Age of Exploration world, so map makes sense. They were going to focus on one continent on this plane, and designing that felt cool. It also would have tied in with the Masterpiece frame, which ended up getting used for the double-faced cards as well. Then Dominaria already had a map and a globe, lots of different maps, so really all they did was compile all that geographic information that they already had and redraw it into a very nice modern Dominaria map. This is kind of the first real map that's coming out of an unmappy set. Yeah. But it's very cool. James Wyatt, who penned this and uh, all the other little plane shift expansions, was on Weekly MTG last week talking about it. Said um, he worked with uh, artist Jonas DeRoe to put together a whole 3D map of the 10th District. So there was a, uh, a a whole 3D model built of the area that was used as a top-down map in the world guide. But then they kind of rotated it a little bit to get a little bit of the 3D and touched it up a little bit. So we're going to get distances, elevations, all kinds of stuff. I'm very excited to see what it looks like. I think it's neat that they had a map internally. 
I have to imagine that was for the purposes of having like an accurate Ravnica skyline, which is not something that's really been a consideration before. I can't really think of why they would need it for the card set itself otherwise, especially if there hadn't been one in the past, because this is the same district where most of magic takes place. In any case, the book looks really cool. The guilds take the place of your background and shape the narrative and race choices and stuff of your characters. It looks like a lot of fun to play, and I really cannot wait to get my hands on this. So it's been talked about in two places now. Andrew mentioned Weekly MTG, but it's also mentioned in the D&D podcast. Another cool thing that we had no idea of is how long Theladar have existed internally at Wizards of the Coast. I think the first one was actually published in Zendikar, am I right? Yes. Theladar Sovereign. Apparently, years before that, in the original Ravnica World Guide, they had listings for both winged and non-winged Felidar, and it turns out one of the Archons from that set... What is the name of that Archon? It's Archon of the Triumvirate. It's from Return to Ravnica. So the Felidar existed in the original Ravnica City of Guilds World Guide. Didn't appear in art until Return to Ravnica, and this D&D expansion is going to be the first thing that actually says the word Felidar on Ravnica which is super cool because so far we've only seen them on Zendikar and Kaladesh. And it gives you a real interesting idea of just what goes into the world building for these sets. They create all of these things they think they might need, but then they didn't actually have room for a Felidar until Zendikar. We're still going to have to wait a bit for this Ravnica D&D thing. It's coming out in local game stores at the beginning of November and everywhere at the end of November, so perfect timing for Guilds of Ravnica. But if you've been waiting for Plane Shift Dominaria, which are the free PDF supplements that James has been writing for the past couple years, Dominaria 1 comes out tomorrow, Tuesday. So check that out. That sounds amazing, honestly. I cannot wait to, to dive into that thing, especially since uh, all the work that went into like the Dominaria map was for an RPG. With all of that said, let's talk about Commander 2018. So there was not a story this week. We instead got a whole bunch of previews. This episode's going to be almost entirely devoted to those previews, talking about our favorites and the history of some of these characters. Let's start with the Blue-Red Exquisite Inventions deck. So the face of that is one of my favorite characters, Sahili Rai, or uh, the card is Sahili the Gifted. What is very cool about Sahili's card is that it was painted by Ryan Pancoast, who is married to an Indian woman himself. So he has a fair amount of experience. His wife, actually, uh, funnily enough, on Twitter posted a photo of their wedding after people were commenting about all the research he did to put Sahili into this Indian dance pose that has significance in a lot of Hindu sculpture, a lot of Indian dances incorporate it. It is very clearly from someone who did their research. Our friend Shivam Bhatt, who is a a pundit, which means a, a Hindu priest, talked about it a lot, raved about it in his blog 
on Tumblr in a post called Kaladesh Returns. I recommend you all check it out. So the next card we got from the Blue-Red Exquisite Inventions deck is Thanos. For those of you who are maybe not the deepest invested in the lore, Thanos was, I mean, the name gives it away, he was Urza's apprentice in the Brothers' War. He became a master apprentice in his own right, and his relationship, relationship might be a strong word, his familiarity with Ashnod, who was Urza's brother's apprentice, was the entire reason how the ending of the Brothers' War played out. So let me back up a little bit. Thanos was a toy maker originally in the kingdom where Urza was from and where he became the master artificer for the kingdom as they were going to war. Thanos was apprenticed to Urza as time went on, and he was essentially the only apprentice of Urza's who could talk sense into Urza. Urza, even as a human, didn't really treat his assistants like people. Thanos was also one of the few people to have like a real conscience during the war, as opposed to Urza and Mishra, who were both awful, awful people. And Mishra's apprentice, Ashnod, who her very first invention was a rod that tortured people, so she was not a great person either. But she was at least a good enough person to recognize that Mishra should not have the Golgothian Silex. So when Ashnod recovered it, realized what had happened to Mishra in terms of being corrupted by Gix and Phyrexia, on the eve of the final battle on Argatha, she brought the Silex to Thanos to entrust it to him. And that is how Urza got his hands on it at the final battle and used it right before Gix took over both their army's forces and laid waste to them. It really worked out for Ashnod there. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess the, the alternative would have been... Mishra blowing everything up instead? <laughs> or Phyrexia controlling everything sooner. So the other interesting thing about Thanos' card is the inventions in the workshop there, none of them directly correspond to anything from like antiquities, except for one. It doesn't look quite like it, but it looks like there's a prototype candelabra of Thanos in his, uh, in his workshop there behind him. So I should note as well that this is Thanos as a young man. I've often thought of Thanos as like green-blue, especially because he takes a lot of his invention designs from animals and how nature works and incorporates it into his designs. There are cards like Magus of the Candelabra, which mentions that nature mages revere Thanos's name while reviling Urza's. But as a young man, he could have easily have been red-blue. So I like this card a lot. Then next up, we have a very interesting card. We alluded to earlier, Brutaclad, Telcor Engineer, is mentioned on a single flavor text on a card Sarcomite Mirror from Future Sight. Kelly Diggs had a great thread about this character because he wasn't even sure this character even existed, because Future Sight is a set with possible futures from across the multiverse. Sarcomite Mirror was the hint that Mirrodin would become Nufrexia at one point. The fact that Brutaclad has a card 
puts the dial a lot more towards this is a real thing that actually exists on Nufrexia. I also love that Grudoclad incorporates a lot of Nufrexian artifact design. He's a colored artifact, which Nufrexia had. He is also just an artificer, has no race. A lot of Frexian creatures from the Scars of Mirrodin block were just like creature cleric or stuff like that to kind of highlight their alienness. And he makes mirror tokens, which is awesome. I don't think there was a decisive statement on whether it was set on New Phyrexia or not from Kelly. It was flip-flopping back and forth, basically like, it probably is, but we can't know for sure. Or an alternate New Phyrexia or some nonsense, thanks to Time Spiral. So next up is Varchild, Betrayer of Keldor. So we talked about Varchild a lot last week, so I'm not going to get into her lore here, but the card itself is very cool because it references Varchild's War Riders, especially in terms of the survivor tokens she creates. So I thought that was just a nice callback because the art itself looks like she's riding a horse like in the War Riders, and she's got a burning village behind her like in the War Riders. The tokens she creates also look very cool. They are Balduvian civilians, essentially, who look like they have picked up their axe and their swords to fight because of Varchild's actions. The next card we want to talk about is Treasure Nabber, which I like a lot. It appears to be one of the Kylem goblins, if I had to guess, because of the big floofy ears. In case you didn't know what Treasure Nabber was intended for, I really, really love that it's flat out just got soul ring in the art. <laughs> so in case you hadn't figured out, it's to steal everyone else's soul ring after they use it so that you get to use it too on your turn. The last one is very, very cool. And since Andrew was the one who discovered the connection, I'm going to let him talk about it. This is my favorite new card in this product. Ancient Stone Idol. So our story begins in Worldwake, the second set in the Zendikar block. Wizards R&D is iterating on the trap subtype of instance, and they print this neat card called Stone Idol Trap, which is the Indiana Jones giant rock thing, except it's the head of an old statue. It comes rolling down as a 612 trample construct token. And eats attackers and then cracks back for a whole lot of damage. Now, we finally get to see the statue that that head came from. Ancient Stone Idol is a 10-mana 12-12. That will be important in a bit. It's a golem, has flash, so it can be played like an instant. It costs one less to cast for each attacking creature, which is the same piece of text that was on Stone Idol Trap and has trample because the token had trample but when it dies you create a 612 colorless construct artifact creature token with trample which is the same token that stone idol trap makes so when this dies the head rolls off and gets to keep rolling on top of things which is also funny <laughs> because the body i guess is just a six zero <laughs> that's my favorite part what's important about this statue and why it's important that it's a 10-mana 12-12 is because this is a gigantic golem fashioned in the style of the merfolk god Kosi, the trickster. 
who, as we learned, is actually Kozilek. Both of Kozilek's cards were 10 mana 12-12s. So this is literally an Eldrazi-sized golem fashioned in the Merfolk God that was inspired by Kozilek that breaks off into its head, which is a perfect art match, by the way, for Stone Idol Trap all those years later. So with these two cards, they just tell this perfect story of this colossal piece of art that has kicked ass, taken names, and continues to wreak havoc across Zendikar. Gavin Verhey, when describing this product, kind of described it as his time spiral. This is a very time spirally card with direct flavor and mechanical references to another card from Magic's past. I think it's just outstanding. I'm very sad that we don't get a foil version of it. So the next deck is Jund. It is called Nature's Vengeance, and it stars someone we were right about. Yeah, I mean, after getting the art book card, <laughs> it's, not, it's not hard to be wrong after that. Yeah, I mean, Lord Wingrace, we've talked about him plenty on this cast, and Ethan did a little bit of a thread, I think, like 10 or so tweets, on where Wingrace came from, where he was involved in, and how they got him into the set. So you should go check Ethan Fleischer's Twitter for that information. But yeah, visuals are exactly what we saw in the art book. The staff and Flamefist refer to his only like real recognizable appearance in Planeswalker's Fury. So it is everything we expected and more. I like that he is both the Iron Fist and the Black Panther. <laughs> so the next card we want to talk about, just real quick, is Thantus the Warweaver. This is the Jund-aligned spider that I mentioned last week that was also not hard to guess because it is literally red, green, and black. We don't have any lore on it yet. As soon as we hear something, we will update you all if there are cool bits of lore in the blurbs for these characters. But Thantis is the first card we're talking about here that was just created purely for this set. So Thantis is brand new. There's no deep lore here. She does have cool flavor text, though. She spins a web few can resist. Its sweet aroma sparks chaos in every heart. People thought she was a lava spider because it's a Lands Matter deck and her web is kind of orange and gooey. But with that flavor text, it sounds more like it's a honey web. That attracts people and sends them into a rage, which I think is a lot funnier and cooler than just a lava web. <laughs> so the next card is, and we have no idea how to pronounce this yet, Gyrus, or Gyro, Waker of Corpses. Andrew posted a meme with each head was just a, a Gyro, or Euro, so it was, <laughs> it looked delicious. It was the most delicious looking Hydra I've ever seen. That's because Gyros are delicious. Unfortunately, there aren't really any clues as to what plane or what even type of Hydra this is. It doesn't quite line up with any other known Hydra, so we can't just place it. You did point out, Jay, that its head structure is pretty similar to Hydra Omnivore, which is also getting reprinted in this set. It has the armored head like that, and that's the only example of that kind of armored forehead and... I don't know what you would call that, uh, but that kind of armored head for a Hydra that we see in Magic. 
But of course, we don't know what plane Hydra Omnivore is on either, so. But it's very cool that they're kind of paired together in the same set. As we get the actual products of these, they typically include a lore insert that has some deck information on one side and then a brief summary of each story character on the other side. And that's generally matched up with what would be placed online if this were a few years ago. But due to the change in the structure of the product pages, we don't really have those little character bios as much anymore. We just gotta wait. So the next card we want to talk about is, I mean, honestly, it's probably one of the biggest flavor wins of the set. It's Zancha, Sleeper Agent. We've talked about Zancha a little bit. Zancha was a Barexian Newt. Her name, Zancha, really only, you know, Frexians didn't get names, Frexian Newts especially. So her name was actually the designation of where she was supposed to stand when all of the newts assembled, or it was like her number. She was a Frexian sleeper agent with a mind of her own. It's also important to note, Sam Keeper wrote a really great article on Zancha as being Magic's first trans hero. This art has all kinds of fun things in it. It's by Mark Winters, who you might be familiar with as a former Wizards art director for Dominaria and for this set. But you can see in the background behind her is the art for Frexian Tower, which is a legendary land set on Frexia. It's hard to see at card size, but when you look at the full art, which Mark put up on Twitter last week, Sancha isn't just clutching her fist to her chest in some kind of heroic pose. She's clutching her Heartstone, which is a power stone that Frexians implanted in their newts and then used to control them because they would siphon away their souls. Zancha's Heartstone is very important to Magic's story because after her death, it becomes the core of what Urza uses to build Karn. Karn has Zancha's Heartstone inside him, and it's likely the mechanical part that let Karn absorb Urza's spark at the end of the Frexian invasion and ascend to a planeswalker himself. So let me give a little background here on both this card and the importance of that. Heartstones are power stones that were implanted in a living being and have absorbed part of their essence. That's how mechanically Karn could have. Urza Spark because Karn's personality, his sentience, comes from Zancha's Heartstone. So his soul, so to speak, is Zancha's Heartstone. But what's very cool about this image is it pairs very nicely with the card Ill-Gotten Gains. Zancha and Urza had traveled together for millennia. Urza decides to attack Frexia with this giant dragon engine of his own heat that he built. While Urza's doing that, Zancha sneaks into the Phyrexian Tower you see in the background of this art and steals back her Heartstone so that the Phyrexians can't use it against her. And so her theft of that is depicted in Ill-Gotten Gains, and the art of her here shows basically she's, she's even clutching the Heartstone with the same hand as she is in Ill-Gotten Gains. So it's just a very nice throwback. I also wanted to quickly mention three really neat cards from this deck. 
The first is Whiptongue Hydra, which is a Hydra lizard that has chameleon heads and chameleon <laughs> tongues and is eating a drake. It's just fantastic creature design that's really endearing. Magic's done a couple hydras that have another animal as their heads, um, mostly snakes and cobras. And then there was also a hydra doodle in Unstable, which is the poodle hydra, which is a little silly for mainstream magic. But chameleon hydra is still pretty silly, even though it's more imaginative realism than cartoonish humor. There are also two Zendikar-flavored cards. The first is Crash of Rhino Beetles, which is maybe the best name in this set. <laughs> a group of rhinoceri are called a Crash. Crash of Rhinos is an old magic card from Mirage, I think. And Rhino Beetles are a real thing. They have big horns and like to fight. So just kind of smushing those together for Crash of Rhino Beetles is just really fantastic. And this card gets so big when you have more lands, so it's kind of reminiscent of Scoop Mob. So I like that it's this kind of Zendikar-themed, control a lot of lands, get big bucks. But there's another Zendikar card, Turn Timber Sower, which is shown over the Denton-textured wastes that Ulamog has left. The elf is bent down, growing plants out of this wasted landscape, which is something we saw a little bit in the Oath of the Gatewatch story, the one that revolved around Mina and Den. So it's another good hint that Zendikar is continuing to recover after the Eldrazi. I like it when supplemental sets give us a little look into how other planes in the multiverse that we haven't visited in a while are doing. Absolutely. Hopefully we'll have our Adventure World plane back <laughs> next time we return. So the next deck we want to talk about is the Bant Adaptive Enchantment deck. This one had some cool, well, one very cool deep dive in particular, but let's talk about the face card first. We had a new planeswalker named Estrid the Masked. We don't know where Estrid's from, we don't know what time period, but she has a very cool ab ability to create these totem armor masks to protect people. That's all we really know about her at this point. I want to learn more because she's definitely a commander I want to use. Carrie, did you want to talk about Kestia, our not-god? Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> you sound so excited. Dejectedly. Um, we thought it was a god, it wasn't. There's not too much to it. Her nymph status is what we've seen before on Nyx, specifically with Nyx-born creatures. She's just a legendary version of those. And we've seen a few extremely unique Nyx-born creatures. Perforos's assistant, whose name is escaping me. But it's a matter of we didn't get our standalone god in a cycle as much as I would have loved it. <laughs> I still appreciate any reference to Theros because Theros is probably not a fan favorite plane, but it is a well-received and well-loved plane, and I love it a lot just because I love gods and I love the nature of them as they're described on the plane. So I look forward to if we can get a Prosh-level reference to Kestia on Return to Theros sometime, but that's at least more than a year away with Ravnica Trilogy, so 
Theros is interesting because at first glance it doesn't seem particularly deep, but as I dove into the lore, even just with like those two ebooks and some comic stories, there's a lot of depth to like the world building of Theros yeah. beyond what you would think. So, and there's depth both in the fiction of it and in people who are able to provide the connective analysis to the actual myths that these things were based on because I didn't know that much about Greek mythology, but whenever they made the references and somebody was able to connect it to or explain the original source material versus how it was represented in the card, it's always interesting to see those kind of top-down adaptations. That block went really deep. Yeah. <laughs> they talk about in top-down worlds, they mostly want to hit like tropes and pop culture and things that the audience is going to be familiar with. So, like, we have our Zeus analog, and we have, you know, Hydras, and we have giant sea monsters, because Krakens were in Clash of the Titans, even though they're from Norse mythology. But they still let some individual cards get really deep, so we had things like Lucrocatas and Lamias, and, like, just these really esoteric Nyxborn creatures. So now it's neat. Yeah, this is now the Theris Appreciation Cast. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, it just sucks because there's absolutely no sign of some kind of demigod that we could all just point to and say, like, that person's half-god. So, that, that, that will probably never, ever come up. No, ever. not ever. So. We definitely, I definitely don't have a several thousand word theory piece <laughs> on breaking this down. Not at all. That's just waiting for an announcement of a return to Theros for me to drop it. So the next character we want to talk about is a flavor text character, Tuvasa the Sunlit. Tuvasa appears in the flavor text of Crushing Canopy and One with the Wind. She is one of the, was it, nine shapers? They're in like nine... Nine shapers for the nine rivers of Ixalan. Along with Kumena and what's the old... Tishana. She is uh, one of the shapers on Ixalan. And Kapala. And Kapala, thank you. So sh And all the rest. <laughs> <laughs> so we have, what, five of the shapers identified now? This is the fourth with a card. Oh, yeah, fair enough. There's Tishana, Kumana, Kapala, and now Tuvasa. The next one we want to talk about, I am going to just step out of the way. <laughs> You're going to have to step far. I'm going to just walk into the this corner here. This baby needs a wide berth <laughs> because they finally did it. Speaking of the Theros appreciation cast, they finally printed a Rixmathese slumbering isle, the greatest, largest kraken on all of Theros. I still remember a year ago when we were speculating C-17 predictions, and we were like, oh, there's a perfect color gap for if they wanted to do a blue-green deck with Eryxmethes, and then, alas, nothing came about it. Just needed to wait a little longer. One of the stated goals of this product was to kind of answer a lot of community wants for Commander, and that included legendary creatures that people wanted to see and Eryxmethes has been one that since we learned about him in the story Drop for Drop which is the one where Kiora steals the Kala the Bident of Thassa which is a fantastic story because Kiora's the best planeswalker people have been clamoring for Eryxmethes because 
he fills a classic trope of the giant sea monster that's so big people think it's an island. You can see in art, you can see on Eryxmethy's mechanics that he starts as an island when he enters the battlefield and doesn't wake up until there's enough activity. But you can see the polis on his back, which Eryxmethy's was also the name of that city. It was said to have been destroyed by Heliod, but now we know that it's actually just the back of a huge kraken and it sank into the sea because Eryxmethes woke up. <laughs> the story, drop for drop, made it clear that Eryxmethes was so much bigger and stronger than any kraken or leviathan or octopus or serpent that Kiora could summon to fight Thassa, which is why she pretty much gets her ass kicked until she planeswalks away with the Biden. So it's just so awesome to see because damn... This sucker's a 4-mana 12-12. What's really impressive about Eryxmethes is that in Mark Rosewater's article, Tell Me What You Want, where he listed a bunch of requests from the community, Eryxmethes was one of the characters that lots of people asked to see on a card, along with the likes of, you know, Sarah and Urza and Feather and all these big-name characters over the years, which is a big testament to how popular the character was after just such a small appearance. And we also were kind of denied proper version of this early on with Island Fish Jaxconius, I believe it is. It was a blue creature that was notably not an island. <laughs> and that has been a very, very aged meme, but now we actually have the thing so large that it is mistaken for an island. <laughs> So the last deck here is the Esper Subjective Reality deck. So this one did not have any returning characters in it. So we're going to go through this pretty quickly. The Planeswalker at the helm of this deck is Aminatu. And there is a, a whole article that goes into Aminatu's backstory, what we know of it, and Power Set that was written by Allison Lurs, posted on the Mothership. Yeah. Just dive in there for all the information. We had gotten a little communication mishap with this earlier in the week, but now we know what her full power set is, and it's shaping people's fates, which is still a notably large power set to have. But it's not a second Commodore Guff, at least. <laughs> That's what we were all worried about. It is all forward-facing power. She cannot change anything in the past. There was a great line in there that Allison wrote, about how she has this potentially devastating power, but she's only eight years old, so she uses it for kid stuff. Instead of, like, altering the fate of entire planes, she just, like, makes people trip and fall in love. <laughs> little impulsive child's play. We had a little discussion about this in the Vorthos Discord, and it was a matter of what her parentage is, because she doesn't seem to have parents until she needs them in that moment so is she like fate tricking people into well not fate tricking um fading people into adopting her for only a short time just so that she can have the security of parents for that time it's a little hard to say she's very mysterious yes very very strong power set um but aside from that we have verena lich queen there's not much to say here it doesn't look esper it does look new Phyrexia, but that's only because Iger Kiriluk does it, and he did a ton of stuff in new Phyrexia that everybody recognizes. Yeah, like Elish Norn. 
Yeah, he did Elish Norn, he did Frexian Gargantua, he did Frexian Delver, which is also in this deck. But this is our sci-fi zombie queen, and she looks awesome. <laughs> this is one of my favorite pieces of this product. Igor, as as you two alluded to, is, as Andrew and I discovered, a big fan of the white-like-bone and red-like-blood motifs. Loves that porcelain plate. Yeah. This is now his, the third character he has illustrated. Falconrath, Aristocrat, Elish Norn, and Alvarina, who have a color palette where they're white on top that eventually turns into blood red on the bottom. It's kind of fun to see artists' body of work, the more magic stuff they do, and to point out the kinds of things that crop up here and there. For some reason, that's just a visual look that has appeared on three of Igor's characters. Yeah, I especially got hooked on it early because my two favorite cards starting out, everybody jokes about newer players loving white life gain effects. I loved Suture Priest and I loved Inquisitor Exarch, which both gains you life with their Honor the Battlefield triggers. So it was just, and both of those are done by Igor and both of them have that porcelain plate look to them because they are part of Norn's collective. Aside from that, we got Yannette, Cryptic Sovereign. It is an odd card, as everybody has noted. <laughs> you can go pretty much anywhere and find out all the odd number references that they managed to jam into this card, but oh boy, there's it's meant a lot. to be odd. Yes. And lastly, we have one that was discussed on the weekly MTG from last week. It was Yuriko, the Tiger Shadow. Set on Kamigawa. This was the Kamigawa card that Gavin had pushed for the set. And you get Command Zone Ninjutsu. There's nothing better than that. I mean, ideally you would want to conceal the Command Zone. But you get what you get. No, it's it's the worst. <laughs> the Command Tax exists as the only stopgap to dealing with Commanders. Now that the Tuck Rule has been changed. And by now that the tuck rule has been changed, it got changed years ago. <laughs> Dorevi is a stupid commander because she just flips back in for four mana whenever she wants, totally circumvents the tax, so she's incredibly difficult to deal with. Yuriko has the same problem because ninjutsu is an activated ability and you're not casting her, so you don't have to pay the command tax. And in black and blue, it's very easy to just get any little creature unblocked and slip her in and she has an incredible powerful ability that is card advantage and a clock. Card is dumb. I hate it. Ugh, I hate it. <laughs> I mean, you could just build Arcades walls. They would never touch you. Also, where are my samurai? <laughs> so that covers all of the new legends and the flavorful cards we wanted to talk about. Carrie, where does this leave that uh, carefully scanned Planeswalker poster artwork that you delivered? carefully scanned i bought it one day because i stopped in an fye <laughs> we're looking for specifically it but that's besides the point <laughs> we have the sahili art from there on the card that's the only art that actually transferred into a card that we have seen in this set so outstanding from that we have all the ravnica pieces the guruk piece the duretti piece or guruk pieces question mark i can't recall if there are one or thought two it, i thought I it was just one it. one of them was the ftv from last year there you go 
and then the Dreddy piece with Dreddy set on the plane of Kaladesh. Which I don't understand if it's not associated. <laughs> like, where where is Dreddy on Kaladesh going to appear then? Yeah, Elspeth in the Underworld, which will obviously play into the story at some point, but it is her not wearing her returned mask just yet. She still has a little glimmer of light above her where she could probably escape to. Tafiri on an uncertain setting, but manipulating time as usual, and Karn believed to be near the Ran Ruins on Dominaria. It feels like there was so many signals being sent to us between these literal arts that were being put out and stuff like Sarah being hammered down for the 25th. I have to wonder whether there's a unannounced product that will be coming out in some kind of timely fashion for still being branded with the 25th anniversary, but that includes a massive amount of planeswalkers that aren't on Ravnica. Like, we already have our planeswalker gathering on Ravnica that's going to happen regardless. What about these characters who obviously aren't there, but already have art developed for them? Or are we just that far out in the art development that these are being made years and years before we usually have ever seen any glimmer of Planeswalker art that would be associated with the card in the future. It's an interesting question. It's something for us to think on and probably hop back in as eventually we get more products announced. Process-wise, so everyone's aware, they mentioned that Commander, or Gavin, I should I should say, Gavin, mentioned that Commander 2018's development was wrapping around the time of Commander 2017, which means the artwork would have been in progress then, which means, you know, you've got about a year out there. I just, we already know that we have Guilds of Ravnica, we have Ravnica Allegiance, we have the unnamed third set taking place on Ravnica, and then we have next year's core set, Core 2020. It's better in hindsight. <laughs> oh, that's going to get old fast. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, you know, that's already a year out being spoken for. And most of these characters, Karn is colorless, Doretti is two colors, Garrick is two colors. That's why they didn't use them in Core 2019. So they're not going to be core set planeswalkers because those are monocolored. So yeah, I legitimately just don't know where these are supposed to fit in. We'll have to wait and see. So we have time yet for one listener question. So the question comes from at Sibrand Uh I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. I apologize if I messed it up. The question is, I have a question about the lore of Rabia. How does it exactly work with the 1001 different Rabias? Are they all different planes? And why are some characters not copied and Taser five times? So here's the deal. Rabia is not like Alara in that it was sundered into different planes. Rabia was copied. Rabia is a thousand parallel universes, essentially, in the same plane. So all thousand and one different versions all exist in the same plane. They're not different planes. People from Rabia can travel between the different versions. It's not easy, but you can do it. The reason Taysir only appears five times rather than a thousand and one times it had something to do with his planeswalker spark it's not really well explained in the comic book with taser but 
he was split into five different colors and hidden around and fusing himself, each version of himself together is what reactivated his spark. So I think what really happened is his spark, because it was so powerful, there could only, it could only manage five different versions. It is a downfall of having retroactive fitting to the story around the set. I've heard explanations that they only did that because they didn't have legendary creatures, so you wanted to explain how there were multiple versions of the same creature on the battlefield. Galen, yeah. It's convoluted no matter how you cut it. And we're never going back there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're never going back there because it's a plane based on real-world mythology. It mentions real-world religions. It's 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 not going to happen. So you're saying we're not going to get an Allah card? <laughs> <laughs> so we have a list of characters that we would like to see have cards. And we went a little crazy with it one day, and I just grabbed like every flavor text character, every like proper noun name, and Allah was one of them. So <laughs> yeah, we're not going to get that. Final thoughts for me. This Doretti on Kaladesh thing is going to bother me. Like, this is my new Raven Man for the immediate future. I want to know where. I want to know when. I will find you, Doretti. I will find you. Andrew. What I think is really interesting about this Commander product is that there weren't any new cards that really led into Ravnica, and there don't seem to be any mechanical things that are going to lead into Ravnica, which is not what we expected from a Mel standpoint and a Vortho standpoint. So it's going to be interesting to see what these Ravnica sets do. Like, they're going to have plenty of their own legendary creatures, because Ravnica sets always do, because there's all these guilds, and every guild has to have a cycle of things, because we got to get Carrie to play cycles of things oh. at some point. <laughs> I, I would have, I think, expected a little more Ravnica stuff, just to, like, get people excited about it. Because Ravnica, we're going back to Ravnica again, people. Let's get excited about that. But there's nothing really for the Ravnica crowd here. Did we see a single new card that has referenced Ravnica? No. The only reference was uh, Azor back in Rivals of Ixalan. All right, Carrie, last thoughts. I appreciate all of the work that went into making a lot of these cards set on recent planes. We had... Tuvasa, who is from Ixalan. Um, we had Zancha, who is just from Dominaria, turned Timber Sower from Zendikar. It's a matter of being able to deliver on things we saw recently, and a whole bunch of not legendary cards that there was the gem that takes place on Ixalan or is set on Ixalan. Being able to see recent sets, art direction, kind of conveyed into Commander products bridges the gap for those products and how you see them interacting with the cards you already own so i appreciate that a lot more than anybody even though it's just like probably sending a few people a few style guides they were missing but it's worth it i mean things like the lithomancer in c14 helped were like a cornerstone of the story that would be told in the next couple years so commander can be a very useful tool for that i don't think this was the most story relevant one i just appreciated the art direction that went into it which kudos to the team who did that 
And that's our episode for this week. If you enjoy listening to the Vorthos cast and would like us to continue making it, please consider supporting us on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash thevorthoscast. We mentioned our Patreon Discord earlier in the episode. That's our first donation tier level. You get access to a Discord server where we are doing all kinds of fun Vorthos discussion with other fans of the show and of Magic. We've also got a second tier that gets access to some short exclusive content, the first of which we will be releasing this week. So if you want to hear a little bonus episode about some bonus Vortho stuff that isn't stuff we're really going to talk about in the main episode, consider donating now and get access to some exclusive content. And thank you everyone who's donated already, and thank you everyone for listening to our show. Thank you all. This has been the Vorthos Cast.